All right. Everybody get notes that needed notes? Still got a couple, looks like. Galatians chapter 6. And Lord willing, we'll finish up Galatians uh, next Sunday night. So we're at Galatians 6 tonight. Going verse by verse, and we've worked our way uh, all the way here into the last chapter, right in the middle of the chapter. So Galatians chapter 6, and verse number 6 as we get started. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them, who are of the household of faith. This chapter has been uh, all about restoring people who have been hurt or who have fallen, and also talking about bearing people's burdens. And sometimes it's talking about bearing their burdens in a physical way, um, helping them with resources and needs that they have in their lives. Other times it's in a spiritual way when we're talking about restoration. But tonight we we do hit on some of these temporal issues once again as we get into your notes. And uh, we're going to get right into verse number 6. First, let's pray. Father, guide us through the study tonight. Help us to honor you. I pray that we'd be attentive to your word. And we thank you for each one who's here once again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this word communicate. Read verse 6 again. I know that there are some of you out there who probably know exactly what this verse means, but look at it again. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So just to ask you a question, you can answer out loud if you want. Who are the ones who are being taught? Obviously not you, right? Anybody want to throw that one out there? What is it? Right, the congregation, right? The congregation. So the congregation is being taught, and he's speaking to this, the churches in this region and saying, listen, if you're being taught, you're part of a congregation. And so if you're taught in the Word, you should communicate unto him that teacheth. Now, in the case of what we're doing tonight, that'd be me. Um, and, and so it says, in all good things. Now, this is not a place where you make a list of my favorite things like peanut M&Ms and German chocolate cake and Breyers Mint chocolate chip ice cream. You know, it's, that's not what it's for. But we will explain what this word communicate means. So in your notes, the word communicate in verse 6 refers to sharing. That's what the word communicate literally means. There in verse number 6. It means to share with him. So sharing material things with those who have offered spiritual things. And this was a different concept for the Gentiles. 
um, in Judaism, they already had a concept in place for this. You remember who the ministers were in Judaism? The Levites, the priests. There was a whole tribe of Israel. And there were 12 other tribes that took care of them. There were 12 other tribes that offered them land according to God's command where they lived. That brought them food at the temple. But in the Gentile world, they had no experience with this. All that they had done before is offer things to idols. And so now, Paul's saying, listen, there's some give and take here. If you're receiving, you should be willing to give. And that's an important principle of God's Word. Now, he's going to talk to other Gentile churches about this. Um, We live in a modern society where a lot of Christianity has become, take, 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 all about me, and I don't want to give up anything. Um, I remember years and years ago, we were at, uh, in Boise, a church plant, and uh, somebody had given in the offering. And of course, back then, um, I was the pastor, the janitor, the Sunday school teacher, the treasurer, um, the whatever, anything there was, that's what I was. So you know, every time when the offering came in, every Sunday, basically you would go through the seven envelopes in the offering and see if we're going to make it that week. And if, if one person was out of town, it was iffy. And I remember we had a guest that came in one time and had given something an offering and called the next day and uh, said, listen, I gave a large amount in the offering and I need to get it back. And I said, well, you know, you get kind of do that gulp. But I remember counting the offering. There were no large, irregular amounts. It turned out the guy had given $10 in the offering, and he needed to get it back. And I thought about it for a while and realized that to most people in society, that's a big amount to give to God. And some Christians really think they're doing something when they give $100 to some, some ministry at the church. And Paul is trying to help these folks understand that the temporal things are temporal. They, they don't last anyway. And, and so we ought to be looking more toward the eternal. So he explains this a little more. And in your notes, I say it this way. The spirit of a church is reflected by how well they care for those who are ministering to them. Spirit of a church is reflected by how well they care for those who are ministering to them. I know that some of you um, will immediately start jumping to conclusions uh, on this lesson, but do you understand that we're going through Galatians verse by verse? All right, we, ha- we just got to this verse. Okay? It wasn't like we planned the message on taking care of your pastor for June 16th in the PM service. Oh, we got to this verse finally. So, so now we're explaining what does this mean. And I'm very well taken care of, so I have no complaints. Um, but I'm teaching you what the Bible says here. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. By the way, uh, there are groups that do not... Um, pay ministers at all. They build temples. And you may know what I'm talking about there. But they don't 
pay the people anything who minister in their environments. And in the New Testament, there was a precedent that was set that I believe is the right principle that God has for us in the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Now, just looking at that verse at face value, what's more valuable, spiritual or carnal? I think I just told you by my hands. I should have done it this way. <laughs> Let you hit one. Um, spiritual, trumps carnal any day of the week. So, so Paul's trying to, through a question to this Corinthian church, say, listen, if somebody's offered you something spiritual, what's the big deal if we shall reap your carnal things? Now look at verse 12. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul actually suffered, continued to be a tent maker for most of his ministry because he knew that these Gentile churches would hold it against him if he received anything from them. Verse 13, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Now, who's he talking about there? Somebody help me out. The Jews, right? He's talking about the Jews. So he says, listen, in Judaism, in the, the group that I came from, because he was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said, listen, the people who worked in the temple lived of the temple. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Okay, so that's the principle of God's word. It's, it's very plain for us. They which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now that's not always possible in every church environment. Um, for, for years, I told you, we'd count the offering, and we'd say, okay, we're going to make it this week. And for the first few years, I taught high school and you know, tried to supplement some of the things that the church was doing. Um, and, and there are churches all across America that um, either aren't large enough to support a pastor, or they haven't ever taken the biblical mandate seriously to do that. Listen, a pastor who is working at what he does full-time can accomplish a lot more than just a bivocational guy who's got to do it just on the weekends. And I say that totally from experience. And that's just plain and simple true. And by the way, the people on our pastoral staff, they work incredibly hard. Uh, they work really hard. And they, especially during the school year, it's many hours, 60, 70, 80 hours a week most of the time. And they're working hard at ministering to people's needs. And so this is a Bible principle, and it's not made up in the 20th century. God had already put this in the early church for them to have these principles in hand moving forward. All right, we're good. Brother Heckles Miller. I don't normally point it out, but he... That was, that's a good ring. I like that one. All right, now go back to Romans 15. Romans 15. 
Romans 15, we hit a little bit more on this. Verse number 27. Actually, let's start in verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. Here's what's interesting about this. The church at Jerusalem was the very first church. But because of huge persecution in Jerusalem, many of the people in that church had dispersed. They couldn't meet together. They met underground, or they met in secret meetings. And many of them had no way to make money. They were struggling. And so these Gentile churches began to take up offerings for them. Now, we see this phenomena in kind of taking place in third world missions. Um, when I was a kid, and, and even through the 80s and, and 90s after that, the, one of the largest mission fields that Baptist churches were sending missionaries to is the Philippine Islands. And it's still today, we, we even have missionaries that we support from the Philippines. And there's some tremendous missionaries there. Um, but what's interesting is the Philippines and the Filipino churches are now sending missionaries to third world countries like Haiti and Cambodia and places around the world. In fact, there are some Filipino churches that are sending missionaries to the United States of America. Because now the United States is a bigger mission field than the Philippines is. Now it is hard for white Americanos to think that way. We live in a mission field. America has become uh, desperately wicked and against God. And, And so here they said, listen, these churches that came on the scene later are trying to help the earlier church. Verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. Here's the key sentence. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So, saying, listen, the Gentiles received a great benefit because missionaries went out of the church at Jerusalem. And missionaries went out of the church at Antioch. And missionaries went throughout the known world and started churches. And now they needed help back at the home front. They needed help back in the early churches. And so the Gentiles were learning this principle. And uh, I tell you what, there, is, there are not... I've never met people who are more kind to Americans. Americans, kind of, you know, like I described, like us, than the Filipino people. I've been in Filipino churches, and they're so nice to us. And sometimes you think, man, I must have worn some nice cologne, because these people are nice. They're being real nice to me. You know why they're being nice? They're being nice because the, the American people bailed them out during, which war was it? Some historian helped me. There were two wars, right? World War II was the main one, but before that was the Spanish-American when they were invaded by Spain. Somebody, yes? We'll just say that's it. You can Google it later and see if we're right. Um, The third thing is because Americans are the ones who sent missionaries to the Philippines. And they will treat any American they see 
with great kindness because they appreciate that. And we're not quite the same way in our environments. We sometimes don't have a lot of time for other people. And we don't respect them maybe the way we should. So, so Paul's taking this and giving this principle out in all of these different epistles. And Galatians 6 is the one that we were looking at in this case. Okay, let's look at this next thing in your notes as we go back to Galatians 6. This is still talking about this temporal issue of communicating or sharing. We say, many believers are barren spiritually because they sow sparingly and therefore reap sparingly. Right? Now, in, in the farm world, if you had a guy who came into the coffee shop and said, boy, my bean crop is low this year, right? What would be the first thing that the other farmers would ask him? Well, how many acres did you plant? How much seed did you put out there? Now, what if he said, well, I didn't plant any seed this year. You know what the other farmers would do? They would laugh at him. They would take his temperature. They would say, you're sick in the head because you can't reap when you didn't sow. But here's the amazing thing. There are Christians who think they can. There are Christians who think they can reap spiritual things when they've never sown any spiritual things. They think that they can reap something wonderful in their life when it's never been planted. And that's what verses 7 and 8 get into. And I think that every Christian probably is somewhat familiar with these verses. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it talks about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. And we say it this way in your notes. Verses 7 and 8 describe the foundational laws of the harvest that God desires His children to understand and follow. You know, there are natural laws that are given in science and nature around us that are absolutely true and that you will not be able to overcome on your own. Right? Um, what goes up must come down. Right? Have you ever tried to fly off of a roof? Not in an airplane? How many kids ever tried to fly? Yes. True. Right there. Falling in style. I tried to uh, sort of fly off of a roof one time, and it, I didn't fly very far. You know, there are laws that regulate those things. Gravity and buoyancy and the thermodynamics and all the different scientific laws that are out there. The laws of the harvest are no exception. God has laid out these laws in His Word and in nature itself, and they're guaranteed to come true. And so basically, here's what the laws of the harvest are. In the area of stewardship, this is in your notes. In the area of stewardship, each believer will reap what he sows. Okay, so if you sow beans, you're going to reap beans. If you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. So you're going to reap what you sow. He's going to reap what he sows. He's going to reap after he sows. 
Okay, so you, you don't reap before you sow, you reap after you sow. So that's another part of the laws of the harvest. And here's another one. And in proportion to what he sows. And in proportion to what he sows. Today my wife made a scrumptious Father's Day meal. And one of the things on the menu was corn on the cob. It was, unless you have braces. And then it was corn off the cob. Because they had to cut it off. But um, when you take a kernel of corn, or two or three, and you put it in a hole, and at the end of the year, that corn stalk produces how many ears? Two. Two ears. Each ear has how many kernels of corn on it? About 750. Did somebody give me a different number? What are you saying, Don? A hundred? Hundreds? Okay. So, so there's a proportion there. It says, listen, you plant some seed and you usually reap a whole lot more than you sow. Now that's terrific if you sow good things. That's not so terrific if you sow bad things. Right? If you were a rambunctious kid and your mother ever told you, I hope you have a kid someday just like you. How many of you are looking at one of your kids right now? Because you did. Right? Um, you reap what you sow. You know, every negative thing that's ever happened in the ministry that I've been in or in family, I can look back to things in my life and say, oh, yep, I'm reaping what I sowed. And sometimes you reap a whole lot more than you sowed. I talked about Dawson. You guys remember him? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Love you, Dawson. I, I picked on him with an illustration this morning. I went, we went home and we were eating lunch, and I said, Dawson, did you like the illustration that I did this morning about you? And he said, sort of. So that means he did. He liked it. Um, he doesn't mind that, that talk about him. But you reap what you sow, you reap it after you sow it, and you reap in proportion to what you sow. And so when you put that together with verse number 8, what you sow to is very important. Here's what we say in the notes. God is completely aware of our heart motive for each action. It is impossible to fool him or fake him out. <clears throat> Do you know God knows when you're sowing to the flesh or to the Spirit? In fact, God knows even when you don't know. The Word of God, it says in Hebrews 4.12, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God can help you figure out, am I sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the Spirit? When you think about this, um, Jesus obviously had 12 disciples. You guys remember this? Anybody say all 12 of their names? Just off the top of your head. Uh, okay, well, I was going to give an ice cream cone out, but think you can do it? I don't have an ice cream cone, but you can do it anyway. No, we'll, we'll wait. How many of you guys remember Judas Iscariot? Remember him? Obviously. Okay, did you know that nobody knew he was the betrayer except Jesus? Until 
he actually kissed him in the garden? Nobody knew. Even when they're sitting at the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you shall betray me. And everybody started saying, is it me? Is it I? Am I going to be the one? And uh, Peter told John, ask him. Ask him who it is. You're his buddy. Find out who it is. And even after Jesus told them, the one who dips the sop with me, he will betray me. They still didn't get it. They didn't know it was Judas. Even when Judas left the meeting to go out, they said, oh, he's probably going out to give to the poor. He's probably going to go out and do something good. He had them all faked out. But he didn't have Jesus faked out. And there are a lot of Christians who appear to be sowing to the Spirit, who are trying to do it all in their flesh. And you can only live the Christian life in your flesh for so long, and then it becomes revealed. It becomes open. And, it, and so God knows what the thoughts and intents of our heart are. We say this next. If we spend God's resources only on the flesh, it is certain that the investment will return only corruption. And that's what the verse says. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So if you sow to the flesh, it is impossible to reap something spiritual from it. It's impossible. And yet we do it again and again. We think, oh, if I just show up at church, if I just throw something in the plate, if I just act good, God's going to bless my life. But you know, you could do all of those things in the flesh, you could give in the flesh. You could come to church in your flesh. You could learn the secret handshake of the Baptists. And you could get it all figured out. Right? There's no secret handshake. Just, just kidding. They're like, I didn't learn that one yet. Verse number nine. And let us not be weary in well-doing. So well-doing is obviously when we sow to the Spirit. The Bible says, He that sowed to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now there are people who will take that verse and try to fit it into their model of good works bringing eternal life. Here's the problem. They didn't read the rest of the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians has been telling us, you can't earn salvation. It's only by grace. And so this Verse, at the end of verse 8, going into verse 9, is not talking about salvation. We say it in your notes this way. The eternal life reaped by sowing the Spirit will not be yours. You are already saved. It will be the souls of those around you. When you invest in something spiritual, you reap eternal life for someone else. Your coworker, your friend, your relative... Somebody over in the Philippines, somebody in Africa, somebody in South America. When you invest in eternity, you reap eternity. That's what this principle is, and it's a great principle in verse 8. So, be not weary in this investment. Be not weary in this sowing. Verse number 9. We say it in your notes this way. In verse 9, we once again must distinguish between 
redemption and reward. See what it says? In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Can I tell you what that's not saying? That's not saying that you'll only get eternal life if you don't faint. It's not what it's saying. It's talking about reaping rewards. If we faint in adversity, we can lose our rewards. And there are multiple people in the Scripture who lost their spiritual reward because they didn't finish. They didn't finish the course with joy. Look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In this passage, Paul describes, I believe, what will be taking place at the judgment seat of Christ. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So there, there's a variety of things you could build your life on. This is what the passage is trying to explain. Every man's work shall be made manifest. So if you build your life on stubble, and then you try to cover that over and put gold on top of it, it's going to look really good for a while. But the Scripture is very plain that every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. This is not about salvation. This is about his spiritual reward. And you can do a study of the crowns that are available for the believer um, to be able to have as a reward to cast at the Savior's feet. Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So what this is saying is, all the works that you ever do in life, if they weren't sown to spiritual things, when they go through the fire of the judgment seat of Christ, they'll be gone. And you'll still be a Christian, you'll still have eternal life, but you will have nothing to show. Nothing to show for your investment on this earth. Not a thing. And I have to tell you, that there are going to be a lot of Christians who have absolutely nothing to show in the kingdom. It only takes a little bit of investment to get yourself into that spiritual track, to get yourself into that spiritual building that's being described here. And so Paul says, Be not weary in well-doing. We get to this next verse. In, first, uh, sorry, in Galatians chapter 6. And I want to put these two la- last two verses together. Because he talks about well-doing. And then in verse 10 he talks about doing good. They're kind of the same thing here. So he says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good. 
So let's talk this through in the notes. There are a number of things that can cause us to give up the battle. But the Lord has already provided the means not to give up. All right, we talked about Abraham this morning and how he met um, the God who provides or the God who will see to it. That's exactly what this is saying. If you'll walk in the way God wants you to walk in your life, God has already provided the way for you not to get weary in well-doing. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's already given us the resources we need to be replenished and renewed in doing good. But here's the problem. We say it in your notes this way. Most Christians are entirely self-centered, thinking only of their own plans and intentions. If all you think about is yourself and what you want and what you need and what you feel, then even when you do good, it'll be out of that context. So you say, boy, I really want to do good, but it's going to be through my own motives and through my own pride and through my own glory. And when that happens, you know what happens to your well-doing? It fades quickly. Because if somebody doesn't thank you or somebody doesn't praise you the way you think you should be praised or thanked, you're out. I've heard people say, I'll never work in church ministry again because somebody said this to me. Or somebody did this to me. Or they forgot to give me this. Or they didn't do that. And Listen, we have to get back to the context that we sow spiritually because we love Jesus Christ. And not because of any other thing. And, and so most Christians struggle with this. Here's the last sentence, and I want you to get this because it's so profound. Jesus prayed for us to act differently. If you ever read the Lord's Prayer in John 17, not the model prayer, but the actual Lord's Prayer where Jesus prayed to the Father, He prayed for us. You know what He prayed for? That we'd treat each other the right way. That we would love each other. That we would work on our relationships. And we would please the Father. Jesus prayed for us to act differently. Verse 10 indicates this next thing in our notes. We have before us opportunities each and every day to do good to the believers around us as well as to the lost world. There's a passage I want you to see over in 1 John 3 as we close. 1 John 3, and I'm sure you've seen this before. I want you to remember who the human author is that's involved in this. It's the guy who wanted um, no contention. He's a peacemaker. He wants everybody to love each other. He doesn't want any problems to arise. He doesn't want any arguments to take place. And yet he says this, and it's so brutal. 1 John 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So John says, listen, if we don't do good to each other when we have the opportunity, 
How can we call ourselves the children of God? So this is a big argument that he's making. We say this last year notes. The final reaping will be when the Lord returns. The coming of Jesus Christ is drawing nigh, and we have no time to lose. So as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And I want you to greet one another. Uh, Don't forget about your service groups. Stop by and see what's going on through the summer. And uh, could I encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet to help out with Vacation Bible School, make sure you do that on your way out tonight. Pray for the young people at camp this week. And uh, the Saferts are going to be up there. And we have lots of counselors going up. And they're going to do a terrific job, as they always do. we pray for uh, Casey and Amy are going up as well. And Amy's about how many weeks away from? She's about four weeks away. All right. So she probably won't have a baby on the campgrounds, but um, be praying for them in any case. Brother Safer, would you dismiss us in prayer?